Welcome everybody to the 16th episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. This is a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anyone science adjacent and perhaps even hobbyist. My name is Susanne and I'm here with my co-host Jeroen. Hi. So today we have another episode of the Science Life series and we're going to talk about why I love doing a PhD. Now I get some weird looks for that sometimes, uh, but this time I'm going to really explain it why I love it so much. Let's start. So we should get some housekeeping things out of the way first. Housekeeping jeans? (laughs) Yes, housekeeping jeans. Um, We recently got to a thousand listens. So we should definitely celebrate that. Woo! Well, we already did. Yes, we did celebrate it, but we should also celebrate it with our very loyal fans who have been listening to these episodes. So um, thank you so much for being so supportive and nice and um, just being great all-around fans. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Now, over to our actual episode. I mean, we have still housekeeping genes, right? So uh, 1,000 Twitter followers. Ah, yes, we also reached 1,000 Twitter followers. Yes. And I mean, you still have a co-host after last week. Yes. Aha. The marathon. Yes. I'm so glad you survived it. (laughs) Was there ever any doubt? Okay, there was some doubt. There was some doubt. (laughs) There was a lot of doubt. (laughs) That's out of the way. Now we should get to our actual episode. Why I love doing a PhD. Now, I sometimes get some crazy looks when I say that I love the PhD. Because a lot of people cannot wait to get out of it. But I, I really I really still love it. And um, I think we have, of course, highlighted the struggles before. And in this episode, we should focus on the positive things. You heard it. We're changing our logo from the struggling scientist to the prospering scientist. Well, there's still a lot of struggling. <laughs> Flourishing scientists? No, 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 no. Booming. <laughs> we are definitely still struggling. But there's also some good things, and we should talk about them. No. By all means, ladies first. Yes. So, many people remind me about what is wrong with academia all the time, and why they cannot wait to leave it. And sometimes it starts to feel like there's something wrong with me for just loving it so much. I mean, even the people who don't hate it, there's still a lot of them who want to leave and do something else after this, because it's just not for them. Um, now, I, I am not saying that an academic career is going to be it for me or that I will never leave academia. But I just right now, in my little PhD world, I, I, really, I really love what I'm doing. Is that weird? It's a little weird, but I get it. Like, in your present condition, everything seems, well, a lot of things is okay. For my you, present the, condition? Yes. <laughs> As a PhD, you mean? Yes. I mean, you're, that's what you're talking about, right? Like in your PhD yes. world. That, in my yeah, PhD world. Yeah, talk- and I mean, yeah. not everything is, is good and pretty. I mean, anybody who listened to the Cursor Experiment episode knows that it's a struggle a lot. Uh, but sometimes Da-da-tss. it's just... <laughs> sometimes it's just really important to uh, focus a bit again on the good things. Um, and just... This episode, I'm just going to unapologetically name all the things I love. And not name all the things 
that are a bit less okay because people who leave academia and who the people that are often reminding me of what's wrong in with academia definitely have a point and i'm not saying that i don't agree i just for me it doesn't outweigh the good things so why do i love it so much now first of all the science um it shouldn't come as a surprise as the host <laughs> of a science podcast i love science um I cannot ever imagine stopping wanting to learn new things and discover new things and just constantly wanting to improve and learn new things keeps things interesting for me. And there are so many topics out there that are interesting and I definitely cannot investigate them all myself. But um, then I can read the amazing papers of others that have dedicated their life to this type of science, this subject. If I may ask you about this specific topic of the science. Sure. Why, why couldn't you do that outside of like? Would you need to have been a PhD to be able to do all this? You could have also gone to industry directly after your master, maybe, and still mm, get to learn. I think it would have been different because then you don't know what it's actually like doing this type of research yourself. So when you're reading these papers, you don't know what's behind it. Um, of course, you can get all the information still; it's out there. But I think really experiencing it yourself is is really cool. And I mean, it's also not just reading about science. It's being busy with science and no, sure. doing it that I love. No, sure, I agree. But in the scenario that I was uh, sketching, you would be a researcher working in an industry immediately after your master. So you would still be working in the lab and everything, I guess. And I assume... I, I yep. have no experience with what industry is like. Neither do um, I. But yeah, that's why I'm asking like, you know, it's a difficult question. Yes, it's a difficult question. I think mm. people in the industry are definitely also still busy with science, but yeah, different than in a PhD, I think. Fair enough. Next thing that I really love about science are the people. The people in science are just such interesting and amazing humans. And... I don't think I just lucked out with the group that I ended up with, even though they are absolutely amazing. But the people in science are just such intellectual people who are always willing to have a discussion about a subject and are really open to counter arguments. And that is really nice. And at the same time, they will get way too drunk at the next drinks. You know, they're also fun to hang out with and, and a bit crazy at times. And bit awkward and i just love that i mean i'm very much like that myself mm -hmm. so yeah i just feel like i found my group of people if you know what i mean yeah i get that at the same time though i would i would assume not everyone is completely like that though right i mean science just being in academia in general sort of tends to lead towards those kinds of people but i can we've definitely heard these about these professors and stuff like that that re really let ego get to their head that maybe true, they, they don't want to get questions and stuff like that but again this is more about what what you see in science and you see some of the good stuff in science i guess so. yeah i mean not everybody is fun no. and i am sure that i did lock out quite a lot with my group and the people um but in general also the pt the people i meet at congresses they are just so much fun Mm -hmm. But not only fun, also also just very interesting to have a conversation with. Yes, but 
I, I, I do agree with you in terms of the people being amazing and stuff like that. I've also had like good experience meeting like really awesome people. I met you, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we also actively select people based on that, right? I mean, when when you have a candidate show up for a possible PhD position at your group, you get you guys have a say in it. Or, as well of like, maybe this person is right for the group. Yeah, but in this case, I'm not only talking about the people in the group, I'm mm. talking about the people in the department that I didn't get to choose, about the people yeah. in other departments that I meet, the people that I meet at congresses. Yeah. They're all just so much fun. Sure. And, yeah. But are you say so there are definitely people who you have met and think, yeah, I don't want to ever talk to that person again, though, right? I mean, surely there are... Of course, are, yeah. of course. So there, it's... There are some bad apples. But of course they yeah. are. Yeah. And if you are dependent on them, that's very, very... Yep. <laughs> uh, but we're going to focus on the on the good things in this episode. Um, so the next topic is the acceptance. And I really feel like the people in science, at least in my environment very much, are very open-minded and very accepting of how every human is like unique and different. And for for me... I feel that being different and weird is sort of celebrated because creativity and out-of-the-box thinking are are something that is stimulated instead of um, in some some environments. You, Yeah, that's just not as accepted as in science. Um, and even a PI that likes to walk around on his socks in the offices because he thinks better without his shoes on, that's just accepted. I mean... It might be laughed at a little, but it is still okay and accepted to be just yourself and a bit weird. And I like that a lot because I'm also weird. Join the club, I guess. (laughs) Yes. No, I agree on that. Um, Yeah. Okay. Then the next topic is the support. Um, And now I know that a very common problem in PhDs is that there's a lack of support. And... I'm not saying that that's not there. However, I am very blessed to not have that problem. I uh, have a very nice PI who is always there when I need him just three doors over. Unless when he's suddenly called on a congress. But I mean, that's part of the job. Um, And he is really supportive. Which is is something that I've really lucked out on. Um, But not only... I'm not only talking about the support of a BI, I'm also talking about the support of your colleagues, uh, which whom I work with every day. And they're always there for a pre-corona hug or coffee break just when you need it. And I think it helps a lot that we are actually there every day in the lab working together. I mean, certain types of PhDs are definitely different in that aspect that you don't have that close colleagues. But I'm really lucky with, with how amazing they are. and. Um, we really try to make an effort to also be there for each other and have regular drinks where we can all complain about stuff that we need to complain about and having fun together in game nights. And that, that really helps with the PhD. So I really love the, the support that I'm getting from my PI and from my, from my group, basically. Fair enough. But I do think that, like you said yourself, it's not really the, the norm. It's... I mean, it should be. Definitely, 100% agree. But I do think we've heard plenty of horror stories from people who probably don't have as good support from their P, uh, PI or... True, true. Or their group is... And it's a also... A lot of tension and competition sort yes. of culture. 
But it's also very different what people need from their PI, right? So mm-hmm. PI that works for one person is not necessarily good for another person. No, true. It's it's very personal, and yeah, that's just very a very difficult part, I think, because sometimes you don't know what you need before you start, and then you also don't know what to look for, and there's also not that many PhD positions to go around. So then you're already happy if you have one. It's it can be it can be really a different story. Definitely. And definitely in a PhD, you're also very um, it's independent in a way that everything sort of comes down to you. Yeah, it can be very isolating in, yes. in some regard. So if you do manage to find some support systems. Yeah, and it doesn't great. need to be your PI. I mean, it can also be your colleagues or somebody in your department or just a friend who knows what science is like also helps. I mean, you need you do need some support. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's depending on which country and your field of research it can it's what three years and above for Mm -hmm. a phd so that's a long time to be alone yes now i might be repeating myself a bit but um the group that i'm in is also definitely a part of why i love the phd um people are just amazing my colleagues are amazing shout out to amber who asked me to uh, mention her in the podcast (laughs) let's see if she actually listens to us and everybody is just always so kind and willing to help and fun and supportive when it's needed. And of course, we have had some difficult times also in our group. But honestly, I'm already dreading the moment that I need to leave after my PhD. I honestly don't understand why science is like this. Why do you need to leave? Who will you gossip with now uh, at the end, if not Amber? <laughs> exactly. Um, then the next topic part that i really love of the phd is uh the independence that you have um now this can definitely also be a negative thing for sure but i do really love that i get to have the chance to lead my own project uh, and sort of decides decide in what direction i want to go now my pi of course occasionally like every two weeks wants to know what what i'm up to um but leading the project and making it progress in direction is really up to me now at times it's definitely a lot of pressure to be under and difficult but most of the time i do love that that freedom now my pi doesn't always agree about how much freedom that is he sometimes definitely has an opinion about what should happen but um most of the time i get to decide a lot of it myself and i really love that yeah fair next topic mm-hmm. helping others well that worked two ways of course when i started out with my phd i received a lot of help from the more experienced phders and the postdoc in my group and i i really loved how helpful they were um but i now that i'm getting a bit further in my phd and in in I'm in my fourth year i really love helping out the new people also um even if it's just by answering a million questions in a day I just love that I can help. And I've really found that so many people are kind and willing to help you figure things out. Even if you never met this person, your email will nine out of 10 times be answered and help will be offered. And uh, we all know how difficult it can be. And maybe a tiny part of us also really likes to show off this, all this hard won knowledge that we uh, have gathered and our expertise. I, I do think this is, some of this is at least very group dependent though because i have heard of horror stories where groups are very competitive definitely so 
it it got to the point where people were actively sort of messing up other people's experiments and stuff like that. So yeah, I think this can be still group dependent, but in general, I would agree with you that you sort of pay it forward as well. Like someone helps you and then you help the next quote unquote generation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think every point that we have can also be turned into a negative, mm -hmm. but there's also definitely a beautiful side to science where everybody likes to help each other and just, I mean, there's definitely also a prize, right? Usually it's with authorships and that kind of stuff. But, uh, I mean, that's a small price to pay, I think, for the help that you sometimes get offered. I mean, I would say indirectly in every single way, like, we're we're all scientists. We're all trying to advance science. Mm -hmm. So if you could help one other scientist advance science, I mean, everything helps. I, yes. I, you know, to me, that means more than fifth author on a paper, to be honest. Yeah, sure. But your time is also worth something, right? So No, agreed, but... It's really not bad to ask. We can that. debate how much fifth author authorship actually matters at that point. You did something. <laughs> yeah. It ended up in the paper. Yeah. Yes. That also sort of brings me to the next point, to collaborations. Um, again, this willingness of of people to help others often leads to uh, to collaborations and where you just work together to discover something and this just can lead to amazing new insights that you could never have achieved alone and that's just really really nice no that that i agree with you for sure it does get a little awkward though when suddenly you need to uh, it sort of be, it sort of becomes from volunteering or helping into sort of this transactional thing where you're like negotiating authorship positions Sometimes, but yeah. Sure. Depending but on how good the project goes, of course, you know, yeah, if nothing comes that, out of it, then deal's done. Yes, but that's usually also discussed at the end, right? I guess. And I mean, I don't mind putting extra names on my paper if people no, actually same. did something for it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, I sort of view it as we're all advancing science and whoever does contribute should get credit in that sense, but yeah. Yes. Okay, another thing I love is the congresses. Um, getting the opportunity to talk with others about science uh, is really a lot of fun. And meeting new people, getting to travel to cool places sometimes, even though that's not <laughs> often happening with Corona anymore. Um, and also just experiencing all these other types of science that are out there and that are also in your field and what is happening is just it's just very cool. But I love talking to others about science the most. And honestly, I think the best thing about congresses is the poster session, where you can actually one-to-one -one talk with somebody about their work. I really love that part. I'm going to throw in an honorary mention for the congresses, the food. Usually it's pretty good. <laughs> I know you can't have that, but... Uh, yes, I have too many allergies to eat the food. Yes. Normally, it's uh, pretty good food, yeah, especially for the prices you often have to pay to get to the congress. Yeah, some congresses are even free. Yes, but yeah. A part of the congresses is, of course, also the meeting new people. Mm -hmm. And that's just really, really cool to meet these inspirational people that you otherwise would have never met if you didn't do the PhD. Yeah. I mean, there are people from all over the world. Also, in our group, there are people from all over the world. 
And without my PhD, I would have never gotten the opportunity to meet them. So I think that's really cool. No, true. I do think that maybe congresses should try to allow for more time for actual communication between the scientists. I think a lot of conferences tend to organize things where it's like, behold, another presentation. Yeah, I think, honestly, I enjoy the presentations the least. <laughs> I like it for just the the ability to sort of like sit there and just process what's being presented to me. But sure. at a certain point, indeed, for just talking to the people and getting to know them and really building, I don't know, potential collaborations or networking or whatever. Yeah. They're not the best. Like you need to, the poster sessions indeed help the most, I would say, in that sense. Yeah. But maybe it's also that, that those are mostly PhDers mm -hmm. and then you're talking to other PhDers, which yeah. is always an amazing, fun conversation. Yeah. I mean, if you're planning on staying in academia and stuff like that and you meet other people who, you know, maybe they'll also stay in. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not only the networking for me because I'm. I, I mean, I, I know networking is important, but I don't love that, to be honest, that part. I just think it's so cool to talk about what these other people are doing and like being interested in their science and having them talk about their life's work, basically. Just that, that's always such an interesting conversation. No. And even if I never see that person again, mm -hmm. I just love having the talk with them. No, of course, but... I would, it really depends on what your your definition of networking is, right? I mean, you have the people who network like sort of aggressively, like <laughs> I want to add you to LinkedIn. So potentially I need you for this collaboration, for this project. And I think how you and I would network is more along the lines of, hey, this this is a cool person. I like enjoy talking to them, might want to keep in touch with them. Yeah, That kind of stuff. I think that's also networking because that sort of opens you up. Even if you don't ever end up doing anything with them, if with I don't know if you ever publish your paper and post it on LinkedIn, people might like it. More people mm -hmm. like it, more people see it. True. Every little thing helps. True, but that's not my goal. No fair, but I mean, it's a need to meet the awesome people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Then the next part is a bit overlapping with independence, I guess, uh, and that that I really love the freedom that I'm getting, and then. With this one, I really mean the freedom to choose my own schedule. Like if I don't want to work on a Tuesday morning, I can work on a Tuesday evening or I can come in on a Saturday or a Sunday. And that freedom, I, I really love. The, I mean, you, of course, are bound to your meetings and... And cells. And cells, of course, you cannot... And your experiments that mm -hmm. are often multi-day experiments, you, you definitely don't have complete freedom. And usually it also... Definitely means that you're working way more than you should at times. Um, but I don't think there are many jobs that give that amount of freedom. That if you have to go to a dentist in the morning that you can. And that you can just work a bit later without even really telling your boss. I mean, he doesn't care when I work as long as my uh, work gets done. I don't think there's many jobs that offer that without being your own boss. But on the... I would agree with you on that, but we don't really know what it's like, right? I mean, can culture and company culture or work culture? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure companies are a lot more strict with your work times. Mm. The benefit of that is that you are not working in the evenings, mm. usually. But, I mean, just a 9-to-5 job is a 9-to-5 job. Fair enough. Yeah. There's no showing up later. That's not how companies work. At least not the companies that I have 
met people from and the pe people that work there. Yeah, I think at that point you're sort of in the structure of the nine to five, right? So yes. Well, if if there are companies that that do do that, definitely let me know. Mm. <laughs> um, another thing I love is the variation, because every day is just so very different, and it's very rare for me to do something multiple days in a row that's the same, except for writing. Sometimes you're just in a writing bubble. Um, now, most of the days are very busy, too busy, and sometimes often stressful. But uh, the variation really keeps it interesting for me. I couldn't do a job where I'm just doing the same thing over and over and over. I couldn't do that. If you didn't necessarily have the variation, but you had a job that had more freedom and independence, you could always add in more variation, right? Like add in more projects that you think are interesting, add in different experiences. I mean, that's not always able. You're not always able to do that. No, you sure. But I mean, you don't get to decide what you work on yourself. That's what your boss does. Sure. Now, a bit with the variation comes the next point that I really love the randomness of. Um, the PhD. So usually I have a plan about what I'm going to do that day and that's usually not what I end up doing because all these things come in between. My priorities just shift completely because of the results of an experiment. Other times machines break down or shell die and that completely throws off my entire schedule of the week. I need to start all over. Luckily there's always more and more than enough to do. But just this complete randomness, I really love that. I know that would be a absolutely horrible and i know that it is absolutely horrible for it a lot is. of people mm. <laughs> yes like you but i really thrive in that chaos i really i really love it and it doesn't mean that i'm not an organized person because i know exactly what needs to be done for something for like the next paper and what i what i need to get done but i just really love like rolling with the punches of the day and just taking the optimal route of what i can do that day and then switching and being flexible basically I, I really love that you like all the the forced uh, detours that you need to take because suddenly a road is closed on the yes road. yes i do <laughs> i don't good i wouldn't call that the optimal route though yeah but i mean sometimes you figure out that the machine is busy and then you do something else i mean you can also sit around and wait for the machine to not be busy anymore but that won't be the optimal route for that day no sure so or or your cells don't look very happy and then you do it next week because then you have new cells. I mean, it's okay. I there, don't mind it. Yeah. That's where you and I differ uh, a lot. A yes, lot. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's okay. No, of course. I mean, be, there's definitely something to be said of being more flexible. I mm -hmm. I would just argue that maybe planning out a day it would be nice if our machines didn't just break down and you know, <laughs> or shit just didn't always hit the wall or whatever, yeah, but you know? That, that's, I think, just a PhD. I don't think that's ever going to change for a PhD. Because <laughs> we can't b get better machines? No, I mean, sometimes, yeah, I don't know. The science gods are not always with you, you know, and sometimes you just need to do something else. Okay. <laughs> Now, another thing I really love is pushing myself. Um, and you do that a lot during your PhD. And if I look at where I started off three and a half years ago and where I am now, I have improved so much and I've learned so much. And pushing yourself is definitely in the moment usually not fun. 
uh, but improving is definitely worth it afterwards. And that's a good feeling. So I do, I do love it afterwards, but not in the moment. Would you say you enjoy pushing yourself for everything in the PhD or certain things more than others? Um, I think the things that I get new skills from, that I actually learn new things from. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely also not fun stuff that you need to do. And that can be difficult to push yourself to do that. Mm-hmm. But that's usually not the type of pushing yourself that I'm talking about. It's really like <laughs> learning new things and skills. and. So quantifying your images wouldn't be pushing yourself. I mean, learning to quantify your images is pushing yourself. Mm-hmm. But then doing it repeatedly for multiple hours, that's not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you only need to do it one more time, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um. And a bit part of that is the overcoming trials. Now, if you have listened to the Curse Experiment episode, you definitely know that even that one experiment had a lot of trials and I had to overcome a lot. Um, and in my whole PhD, of course, a lot more. But I do love the feeling that you get when you've conquered your trial or your problem and that you've actually solved it. Now, that doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> but when you do get that feeling, it really makes it worth it. In the end. Depends on how big the problem, right? I mean, it could be something very tiny that's been holding you back the entire time until... True, but then if you actually solve it and Mm -hmm. it doesn't hold you back anymore, that's the moment that I love. Yeah. And then you sort of have this feeling of accomplishment because you have done that. Mm -hmm. And that can be tiny things, but you also should appreciate the tiny things. Yeah. Um, And then do... Eureka moments, another thing that happens very, very rarely. But sometimes you just have those moments that things actually make sense. And they don't happen often and they don't usually last very long. But the Eureka moments are definitely a very cool thing about science. Yeah, I sort of think back to a quote from the book Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman about uh, um, that scientists are, or science itself is so full of very a lot of small failures and very rare successes yes yeah yeah Yeah. that's what i think of so i don't know when you do get those eureka moments i'm sure it feels nice yes i can't can't talk about them since i never had them so that's not true i'm talking about the small eureka moments that moment that you actually get a result that makes sense with the literature that you have been reading or just just the small things not like Really, really big eureka moments. Those I haven't had either. I mean, the closest thing to a eureka moment I can think of was the time that I um, realized that the reason my eyelids were exploding was because I accidentally poked the gut and bile acid spilled on the fat that would (laughs) provide the conditioned medium. So the conditioned medium had acid in it and destroyed all the eyelids. It made it for a great movie, but it wasn't what I would normally <laughs> actually call a eureka moment. It's like, behold. Oh, that's what happened then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I remember this movie. These, yeah. these were great movies. This was a very fascinating movie, and I think I still have a pretty good meme out of it, but oh. eureka. <laughs> <laughs> I've used I it in so many presentations. Figuring out your own, own mistakes is also a eureka moment, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> We are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. 
Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in other AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph. Completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers. Just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny. And if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. Then the educating yourself. Now, you're often thrown into the deep end in a PhD a lot, where you just have to figure out how to do a thing. And I think one of the major skills you learn during a PhD is how to educate yourself to do new things. Definitely not always easy, but really a useful, useful skill to have. And also very useful in your personal life, because without this very harsh lesson, we wouldn't have the podcast right now, I think. No, I agree 100%. It's very important to be a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. Every skill you can learn, every if it's such a great feeling to be able to say like, I don't know how to do this. But I can learn it. Yes. You know, it might take some time to develop that skill. Maybe you won't be the best at it ever, but you can definitely do it. Yes. But maybe this is my own personal bias here. I do think it's very different how we do with like the podcast where, you know, if we don't learn all the skills properly, we can still make something. Whereas with sometimes with academia and especially a PhD, you need to learn something and it needs to result in a paper. Yeah, you need to be an expert at it immediately. Yeah, it does. There's very little time to actually develop it properly, I would say, mm-hmm. or really become the expert. It's sort of you need to learn it on the job and apply it pretty quickly. Yes. And it, even applying it, like I've definitely learned some skills, but will all of them result in a paper? Probably not. Yeah, but I also don't think that's always the end goal. I mean, the problem is sort of what they expect of us, right? So. Mm-hmm. I would love to do a PhD where you can actually just learn skills to learn skills. That's not very realistic in our situation. In our case, everything should at some point lead to... A, no, to of a course, agree. And I mean, that's how you... A little bit of pressure to learn to actually apply the skill is necessary to actually show that you know the skill. Mm-hmm. But something as infrequent as a paper being published... Probably isn't the best measure of that, I would say, but yeah. No. No. Yeah. I, I, coming back to your original point, I agree 100% that learning in general and learning new skills is very nice to have. And I think it's something that really distinguishes us from, let's say, lay people where they Or were, from us four years ago, 
even. Yeah, I, yes. I definitely have also changed my mentality towards learning in that sense, I would say. Yes. Now I can just pay, if I want to learn something, I go about doing it and learning it, yeah. 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 Um a PhD also offers many opportunities uh, that you would otherwise not get. Sometimes it's just traveling to a congress or going to another lab for a, fo- a few months or sometimes it's teaching a class or taking a class or being on the board of some congress organizing committee um and there's just many things out there that a phd offers many opportunities um and you just need to go find them so um yeah i i like that yeah i agree i mean i think in terms of our own personal experience especially while making a podcast we suddenly walked into more opportunities as well in terms of presenting that and meeting people from the doctoral school for example and stuff like that so yeah but i think you can also do a lot with the phd Mm -hmm, of course but only if you go looking for it Mm -hmm. and only if you make time for it which can be yes very difficult to do yeah you need to really want to make time for it because yeah there are and you know everyone has their own reasons but i mean the phd does take a lot of time and so i can imagine you know when you get home the last thing you want to do is work on a committee still and plan another event or i don't know whatever yeah so yeah it really depends on what you want um now next up is the parties what parties parties like the the drinks and the parties at congresses and they are a lot of fun partying with scientists can be a lot of fun um because normally so intellectual people can also go wild skinny dipping (laughs) Yes, don't be surprised if you suddenly find out that the Congress you uh, went to has this um, midnight skinny dipping that it's known for. <laughs> but you know, what happens at a Congress stays at a Congress. Does it? Does, yeah. it, does it really? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. <laughs> In a room full of people who publish things for a living, I find it difficult that information will not be disseminated between people. Scientists are such gossipers. You're one of them. I am one of them, that's true. You and Amber. Don't blame Amber. (laughs) Second mention of Amber in this episode. Yes. We're going to make her famous, internet famous. She will be so happy. Yeah. Which Amber, though? My Amber. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) that's all you need to know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now, the last thing I love is the environment. And that, of course, includes a lot of the things that we've talked about before also, like the people. Um, And I I know the scientific world has some definite problems. And especially after the PhD with with postdocing and becoming a PI. And there's some definite, definite problems with that that I am not blind to. And those can also vary from country to country and institute to institute and from group to group. Because every group is different. But overall, I think the scientific environment is very stimulating to get the best out of yourself. It can also be hard and it can be a very lonely process, but it's also very rewarding for me at least. And uh, I just think that you should try to surround yourself with other scientists that are supportive and that you can complain to when you need to and that you can ask help to if you need to. And just be kind and helpful uh, to others. And find others that do the same for you. That's the best advice I can give. 
And you might not always get the same energy back from the academic world, but don't let that turn into you into um, a grizzled veteran of academia. Yes, exactly. I mean, the academic world really needs people who love science and are supportive to make a change. And I think we can make the environment better, the scientific environment better. So I decided that I wanted to be a scientist when I was 15. And uh, I'm living my dream right now. Does it feel like that? It does. I know I'm weird. There's just a pandemic happening outside, but other than that. I mean, <laughs> stuff happens, you know. <laughs> it can be really hard to remember sometimes all the good things and why I'm doing this. And I mean, there are definitely struggles, but um, I really, I really love my PhD and I will be really, really sad when it's over. I know most people just want to get this PhD degree as fast as possible, but I would extend it if I could. You hear that, uh, supervisors? Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll see. We'll see. Um, the PhD is dead. Long live the postdoc. <laughs> we'll see. We'll never know if I get as nice a group then, you know? No, indeed. Um, yeah, it was really nice to... Uh, make this episode, I think it was more for me to remind myself than it was for the This listeners. was your therapy session. <laughs> this was my therapy session. But I hope everybody enjoyed my positive outburst. And uh, we would love to... And my devil's advocate of just negativity. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we would love to hear whatever comments you have or positive stories. We would love to hear those. So you can contact us on the strugglingscientist.com or via our Email address is strugglingscientist at hotmail.com. You can find us on most social media sites. Uh, which ones again? Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Yes. And Jaron is very good at handling those. I'm very good. <laughs> um, yeah. Twitter. I can handle Twitter. Yes. And since you've already found us, I don't need to tell you where you can listen to us. So um, thanks for listening again. And uh, we hope to see you next time. Please turn on all your bot farms so we can get more listens. We don't have bots. <laughs> Preferably in Ireland. We've noticed a spike in Ireland out of nowhere. <laughs> Whoever you are, thank you. Uh, yes, thank, thanks to the Irish fans. <laughs> Bye. Bye.